Well, Merry Christmas. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's good to see all of you here. And we're going to continue with the story of the Nativity. Now, the actual Nativity we looked at last week from Luke chapter 2 and looked at the visitation of the, the angel and the heavenly host to the shepherds and that whole story. And now we're going to continue in Luke. We're going to be right on the tail end of that. And we're going to see uh, in where first we saw these humble shepherds, the, 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 probably the oddest group that the, the, the birth would be given to first. And then we looked at why that would happen. And now we're going to shift to the temple. We're going from, you know, out in the fields outside of Bethlehem and the city of David, where David perhaps himself tended sheep. Now we're moving to the temple in Jerusalem. And here we're not going to see the high priests and the king come to laud the birth of the Messiah. You're going, we're going to see now, going from these probably younger shepherds anticipating this and seeing that fulfilled, now to a couple of older people who have been anticipating this good news, who have been watching and waiting, and we're going to hear their perspective. Now, along the way, first we're going to see that, of course, we're told that Jesus was born under the law, and we're going to see that all of the, all of the things that the law demands about the birth were, happened with Christ. And we're going to see, obviously, that he identifies with Israel in every way, circumcised, dedicated, later baptized. In other words, he the fulfillment of Israel, he the stand-in, or the one who embodies Israel, being Israel as they are supposed to be. We're going to see that now, beginning with these, this passage. Uh, two, two points to the outline. First, we're going to see Simeon and his faithful watch. It's, it's fulfilled. His watch is fulfilled. And we'll get into the language of a watchman. And then we're going to see uh, Anna and her faithful wait. So, those two. As we, as of course you recall, this is the last of those four or five, if you count the heavenly host, of those announcements, those songs, those hymns of prophecy and praise about Jesus that Luke records. This is the last one with, with Simeon. But we'll get there. We're going to look at this passage in, in two halves. So Jay, you're, going to about, you're about to read the first half of the first passage. And I want you to read verses 21 to 24 for us. 21 to 24. Okay. All right, so, so Jesus is named. 21. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child and him called Jesus. The name given by an angel before he was conceived in, his, in the womb. And then next chapter, Jesus was presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male must be designated as a holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons, all right, thank you, sir. All right, we see that Luke records for us circumcision, purification, and presentation, all of which were normal for any 
any Jewish family, especially those who had a firstborn son, that presentation. But the circumcision, we saw also with John the Baptist, the eighth day, and just as John was given the name that he was told he was to have, here Jesus is given the name we're told he is to have, and that is God saves. So Jesus, they call him Jesus. He, he circumcised as part of the covenant family of Israel. And now we're told, and those are the things we're kind of used to, but the idea of purification and presentation, those require a little bit of background for us to, to know what's going on here. We're told that after, with the days of purification according to the law of Moses were complete, they brought him up to Jerusalem. All right, so that purification is 40 days. Uh, you have seven days from birth to circumcision, then on the eighth day, circumcision, and then 33 more days for the end of that period of purification. Unless it's a girl, and then it's 66 more days. But on, for birth of a son, it's 33. And all of this we read about in Leviticus. You can actually read all about how that works in Leviticus 12. This is all laid out about how this is to work. At the end of the period of purification, because a woman was considered ceremonially unclean for activity in the, the ritual activity in Jerusalem and in Israel to be a Jew, she would then go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, present a sacrifice. We're told that you were to present a lamb and either a turtle dove or pigeon. Or in this case, and it's built in to Leviticus, in, if you're poor, you can substitute for the lamb another turtle dove or pigeon. So that's what we're told happens here. And that's for the purification. Presentation is the presentation of your firstborn. Now, after Israel is delivered from slavery in Egypt, remember by that final plague of the firstborn of Egypt, and all their cattle and, and, and human firstborn killed, God demands then, or says that now your firstborn are dedicated to me. Both your firstborn of all of your your livestock, and the firstborn of your family, your firstborn sons of your family. So that was the, the dedication here. Now there was, you could either do one of two things. As we read in 1 Samuel, where Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord, that can happen. You can dedicate your child to the Lord at the temple. Or you dedicate the child to the Lord and then that child is ransomed or you buy back. And this was all set up in the law that you dedicate by ceremony that we are, we in accordance with what God demands are offering our firstborn to God, our firstborn son. But then you pay a fee to the temple of five shekels. And of course we could try to figure out how much that is, but the way things are inflated and all that. It wasn't exorbitant, but it wasn't, you know, just something you carried around change in your pocket kind of stuff either. But there was a fee that you paid to the temple because God had said, I will take the tribe of Levi as my first and they will dedicate to me 
their service. The rest, you, you go through the, the, the ritual of presenting your firstborn, and not just ritual in the empty sense. Does that make sense? You're a recognition of God's hand in delivering Israel and a remembrance of what God did to deliver Israel. But then you buy back your son. We're not told, interestingly in this passage, which happens here for Jesus at his presentation. The only offering we're told that was given was for purification. So there are a lot of people say, well, was he redeemed? Was he not? Was he dead? Well, obviously he's dedicated to the Lord in that he is God with us. But the actual, what they did, we're not told as to, as to which, which angle was taken. Notice Luke you know, brings it up for us to help us to understand it. He presents all the things I have just told you, but we're only told about the offering for the poor. And it's at that point that some will now say, well, where does the Magi, visit of the Magi, come in? Where, where does that fit? It appears this is before that visitation. Okay, they, they go up from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they probably wouldn't stay around if after having that warning that, this is, that, that Herod's after you, probably wouldn't have hung around. So that probably happens later. We'll get into more of that also. And notice it says they went up to Jerusalem, which normally you would say they went down because the elevation, Bethlehem is actually higher in elevation than Jerusalem. But everyone went up to Jerusalem because of the temple. Okay, so you always say you went up to Jerusalem. So not compass direction, and not here, not even elevation. It's just the recognition that this is Jerusalem, the high city on a hill, if you recall Matthew chapter 5. So that's, that's what takes place here. Now where are they in the temple? Well, if obviously Mary is a woman. See how I did that? Mary is a woman, so she's not allowed to go beyond the court of women. So don't get in your head that they're actually approaching the altar. They're going into the inner court. They can only go as far as the temple of women. And, 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 and uh, what am I trying to say? Procedures were in place for this to take place because of women. We're going to have uh, Anna also show up. So that's as far as they, they're going into the temple. Now, while they're there, in anticipation of going through with these things. Again, the normal thing that would hap happen with any child, suddenly they're reminded again of who this child is. Remember, last week we looked at them, them in, a, in a stable, Jesus in a manger, suddenly shepherds showing up, knowing exactly who this child is, telling them what they've heard from an angelic visitation, <coughs> And we're told that Mary marvels at these things and treasures them. And everyone marveled at this because, wow, even the shepherds know. Well, now, 40 days later, here's another confirmation. And we're going to hear about who this is and what he has to say. And this is Simeon. Simeon's name means God hears. All right. So God hears. 
Uh, it's, this, it's a Hebrew form of Simon, so we know of Simon, Peter, so it's a common name. All right? So let's hear about this. Someone read for us now, verses 25 through 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him, that is Jesus, into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow. All right. So here we have Simeon. We're not told that he's old, but it seems as if um, the fact that he says, now, Lord, I have fulfilled my watch, you know, dismiss me. May I depart now? I can die in peace. Just seems to indicate that. We're also not told whether he's a priest or not. And there are various views as to whether he is or isn't a priest. Uh, but we're not told that. But we are told that he is a man who is righteous and devout. So he is a part of that remnant, that faithful remnant, still really desiring, looking for the consolation of Israel, that fulfillment of Isaiah's properties of the messianic age and the peace, the consoling that will come to Israel with the revelation of the Messiah. So whether he's a priest or not, he's devout. Those who would say that he is a priest are point to the fact that he was able to ask for the child. And they just said, well, yeah, here. Uh, rather than just some guy coming up, say, give me that baby. Now, you know, it wouldn't happen that way. But there are some who would say that points to the fact he's a priest. But whatever the case, he's devout and righteous and looking forward to this. In fact, we're told that by the power of the Holy Spirit, notice how Luke emphasizes over and over and over again the 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 reestablishment of the active presence of the Holy Spirit in bringing about the coming of the Messiah, that all of this is being fulfilled, not by the designs of man, but by God's divine activity, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we're told that Simeon is a man who is was with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember, Christ, a, a term that means the anointed one. 
all that imagery from the Old Testament coming through the line of David and the servant, the one who was anointed as king. You will see him. And it is obvious that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he came into the temple in the Spirit, when the parents brought in Jesus to carry out what we've just heard about, to carry out these customs, he supernaturally understands and recognizes that this is the Messiah, the anointed one. We don't know what he may have been expecting. We don't know what his understanding of how this would have come about. But just to know, imagine being a servant of, of a sovereign master, which is a word that's used here in just a moment. We'll look at that. And you're told to wait on a hill for a sign. Go wait on that hill for this one star, let's say. And then come and, and then when you've seen that, report it and your, your task is done. That's how we need to understand Simeon's watch. He's been told he will see this. And who knows how long he's been waiting and watching waiting and watching and there is the Lord's anointed so he takes the child he takes the child in his arms and then we have what's called in the Latin the nunc dementis which is loosely translated as now dismiss it's from the from the Latin the first lines in the Latin translation so this is the nunc dementis. We had before, of course, Elizabeth's song to Mary, or that, you know, her, her praise of Mary. We had Mary's song. We had Zacharias's song. And now we have Simeon's. And this is, this is, this is beautiful. You, now Lord, and that word Lord is despotes in the Greek. And we get our word despot, okay? A despot who we, we loosely call a dictator. Now, he's not calling God a dictator. It was a word for a sovereign master, one who is over you, to whom you owe allegiance. I think the NIV may use the word sovereign to kind of get that across a little bit more. Does it? Yeah, okay. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Okay. To just kind of get that across. Because notice he then calls himself the bondservant. So notice that relationship. You've let your bonds, now let your bondservant depart in peace. Meaning, my watch is done. Now, he's not saying, now let me just go ahead and die. He's saying, now I can die. I can depart in peace, having seen the fulfillment of what you said I would see. And that is, look at how he describes it. I have, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen, in, imagine our salvation, a baby right there. My eyes have seen your salvation. All that you've promised about the deliverance of Israel and the salvation of the Gentiles through the proper understanding and mission of Israel, I see it right here in this baby. And in order to help us understand that further, he just bursts out further. This is what you have prepared in the presence of all people. Now notice with, with Simeon now, the look bursts out 
into this universal understanding of salvation for all the light of revelation to the Gentiles. As Isaiah said it would be. Remember, Israel's mission all along has been to be that light. That's why God chose them. Not to huddle them around and say, get away from all those nasty Gentiles. That's kind of how they ended up going wrong by insulating themselves. They were to be this light to the Gentiles. And he's saying, now I see Israel's mission is going to be fulfilled right here. A light to all the Gentiles, as Israel is to be. And the glory of your people, Israel. A light to everyone because of the fulfillment and glory of Israel in this little baby. Wow. That's a great opening out. Beautiful, uh, beautiful, beautiful poem. Uh, it's since the 4th century. It's been part of the daily offices of the church, um, depending on Eastern or Western, when it's said during the day. But in Latin, this has been part of the daily office of the church, this, this particular, as all of these songs have been that we've looked at in anticipation of and in acknowledgement of the birth of Christ. So having heard all that, I don't know if anyone did that when your child was born. <laughs> Let me see this child. And then do these pronouncements about your child, which is pretty cool. I hope someone did. I hope some people prayed over your child and blessed them and said great things about them. Um, much to my girls' demise, I'm going to say, there were many times, you know, when my girls were little, they didn't know I'd go in there. I'd go in the room and just pray blessings over them. Just pray cool things over them. We've lost our, our respect at and understanding of the power of the word, right? Often, however, how, many, how often have we cursed people through our words? You know, with something as simple as, oh, wait till they're a teenager. You know what I mean? Uh, seemingly innocent just saying, well, you, you, they're cool right now, but just wait. Um, but I more than once rebuked people, shocked them. People say, well, oh, they're neat now. Wait till they're teenagers. I said, don't you curse my children. <laughs> they brought up a little short. They thought I was kind of weird. But that's all right. So here you have this pronouncement over the child. Wow, cool stuff. So now he pronounces a blessing upon the parents. They still, it appears they still haven't gone through with it. This is all in preparation to what we told, were told they were going to do. And now he speaks to Mary. And now it gets a little more serious. Now we have a little more of the anticipation of what's going to happen because this is the light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. As we all know, not everyone's going to like that or agree. And he brings a word to Mary about, yes, this is what's going to happen. But anticipate, though, further some turmoil, some division, in fact, a sword. So, Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. While he's just said the glory of Israel, he will also, he's appointed 
for the, the rise and fall of many in Israel. And what we have here is sort of uh, another way of looking at that metaphor that's used all throughout the church of the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense that becomes the cornerstone where many trip over and stumble over who the Messiah is, who is actually the one who will, people who understand the cornerstone upon which they will rise, the rise and fall of many, as we know. And then he uses an odd phrase, for a sign to be opposed. Um, obviously, you know, a sign of what? You know, a sign of, well, let's look at the, the term itself first. Interestingly, in the Greek, the word for sign, if you, I don't know if any of you are into literature, you may have, or some of these other things you've studied or heard about semiotics, study of how symbols and signs work, like language. Well, this is from that Greek term. This is term uh, semion. Now, what's that sound like? Simon. I mean, it's simeon. So, interestingly, he, in the Greek, you have some assonance going here that sound, where this term sounds like Simon's, Simeon's name. And then he says antilegomenon. Simeon antilegomenon. Against against the word, if you want to think of it that way. A sign of contradiction. Here we have a sign to be opposed, but it's a sign of contradiction. He's just said rise and fall, right? So here you have Jesus is going to be the linchpin around not just who Israel will rise and fall, but the world itself. A contradiction, the ultimate sign of contradiction, of course, will be the cross, right? As Paul brings out. So, it's an, it's an interesting phrase. And after having just heard what he pronounced, now Mary's having to deal with this. And of course, the whole world is dealing with this. To this day, that Jesus is that dividing line. A sword will pierce even your own soul, as we know what she will go through eventually. To the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. No more neutrality. With the coming of the Messiah, you're on one side or the other. Rise and fall of many. Even history itself we've divided by that, that timeline. This great divide with the coming of Christ. Rightly understood and proclaimed, the gospel destroys neutrality. Can't be neutral anymore. And the thoughts of many are going to be revealed, in fact, of all. Where do you stand upon who this is, this baby in Simeon's arms? So, that's a lot. Now, before we get to Anna, any, I've got to get a drink of water, so... Well, Anna's name is the Greek for the Hebrew name, Hannah, same name, and it means grace. Uh, so here you have now someone else we're going to look at who has been waiting. We're not told, we're not given a quotation from her where it's not like Simeon that we get, you know, a, a part of the church's liturgy. Uh, but here we see now you have the faithful older man who's been waiting 
Well, now you have what churches are full of. Those faithful matrons in the faith who pray when we don't even know they're praying for us, who are on their knees all the time, carrying out in their later years steady, constant devotion to God. Here we have Anna. Let's hear about her. Yes, was your hand up? Oh, was your hand up? Are you going to read? I'll read. Go for it. Are you going to read? I don't know. Y'all arm wrestle, and whoever wins, you you know, I'm kidding. No, go ahead. Go for it. You got the magic box. There was box. also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All right. So here now we're told there's a prophetess, there's a prophet. Again, Luke emphasizing the activity and power of the Holy Spirit renewed now with what's going on. And in a long line of the prophetesses of the Old Testament, here you have Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Um, she's a Jew. Now, the term Jew came from the descendants of Judah. Okay, that's, just know that's where that came from. But by this day, anyone who was of Israel that used a loose synonym and just said Jew, she's not of the tribe of Judah, but of the tribe of Asher. People talk about the lost ten tribes after dispersion. Um, centuries before, but they're not lost in the sense that people still traced themselves to their tribes. We know that Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. So here you have, while we can speak of their solidity as united tribes having been dispersed, people still traced themselves and knew from what tribe they came. And here you have the tribe of Asher. So we're told this advanced in years. She's very old. And now we have this phrase, she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. Well, you can translate that. After she was widowed, she, she's been, it's been 84 more years, or she was 84 years old now, her whole life, but having been widowed. Either one will work. So she's either, probably she's, she's 84 or something like 105 which that would be very old, because <laughs> Luke, Luke says she's very old, all right? Um, why, so, you know, and why, why 105? Well, you have, if she say she got married at 14, young, and then the seven years of marriage, then the widowed, and then the 84. Some would say it must be that, because uh, in one of the apocryphal books of Judith, uh, the Judith is revered for her age and widowhood. She remained chaste after being widowed. And she also ministered in the temple. As we're told that this happened. And she was looked to as this matriarch and woman of faith. And we're told that she died at the age of 105. Whether that is a tip to that, we don't know. But her being active suggests 84. But who knows? But she's old. Um, and what's interesting 
is that we're told night and day she didn't cease to pray and fast and wait, look forward to what we're told is the redemption of Jerusalem, the consolation of Israel. Another way of saying the coming of the Messiah. She's looking forward to that. Now, it doesn't mean she necessarily lived at the temple. It would have been odd for a woman to live at the temple, although she could have been granted quarters outside the court, the temple court. But it's probably just an idiomatic way of saying she was there all the time. You know, we use the same idiom, you know, well, I live here. Not saying, you know, well, you're at church all the time. Oh, yeah, I live here. You don't live here, but you're here all the time. Uh, that's idiomatic. But notice, again, faithful, righteous, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And she probably witnessed, heard, saw what was going on with Simeon and Mary and Joseph and the baby. And it's because we're told right then she's, she comes up and sees this. It, you know, that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God about what had just transpired. That she didn't stop there. She kept telling. She continued speaking of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel, of, of Jerusalem. So there were others like her, like Simeon, who also heard this good news about, guess what we saw today in the temple? The salvation of Israel. God's salvation. We saw him. Wow. Fun stuff. You, you're about to say something. Your hand was kind of up. in their lifetime, but we don't have that kind of assurance that Correct. we have to be just ready. We have to be ready at all times. His return is, yes, when? Soon. And it's been soon since the first coming. And of course, Advent is for that. We mistakenly assume that Advent is that time in which we prepare to understand the birth of Christ but properly understood, while we do that, it is also our looking forward to the second advent of Jesus Christ. That coming. And, you know, you, you said they, you know, Simeon was told he wouldn't die until he saw this. He had a promise from the Holy Spirit. Many people, of course, throughout the history of the church, have said similar things about the second coming of Christ. No, no, I've been given this either interpretive code or I've been given a message from God that he will come back on, that Jesus will return. And the history of the church is replete with egg on our faces from people who do just that. I can assure you, if anyone tells you they know for certain when Jesus is coming back, they're wrong. How many of them have been wrong? All of them. All of them. You remember, um, this will date people, um, 
for a while, even among evangelical circles, there was this book by a guy named uh, Wiesenhant called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 88. And I mean, it sold wildly. And I remember having to disabuse people as I was a young pastor at that time, having to disabuse people of this notion. But no, but look at all this. And all it was. And of course, when it didn't happen, he sent out then to, I guess he got, he just, his publisher, him, it is his, I don't know. There was a smaller booklet that he sent out kind of as saying, oh, well, Oops, no, not, not just oops, but, but um, no, that he sent out with, now I had some calculations wrong, I missed something. And then it had five dates, that it was most, most likely now 89, but if not 90, but then but 91, but for sure by 93. And this was sent out, I still have that, um, because you get the idea. Well, anyway. Uh, we are to anticipate the same, the second coming of Christ. Um, what I love about this, on the tail end of, you know, you have the shepherds and the army and all that, the army of heaven, and now you get these, these old people who just go about their business of faithfulness and constancy, and they're given that revelation. The shepherds are given the revelation. And these people are given this revelation that this is the promise, the Messiah. Yes, sir. In a way for Christian Jews, in your very heart of hearts, believe that the kingdom of God is already here. In a way, that is the second coming through faith. Without the presence of the realization. Certainly. We can wait for something to happen, or we can live in the knowledge that it has happened through the gift of the Spirit, but not yet. That balance of already but not yet. Always. Um, yeah, it's the difference of, you know, uh, waiting, wait, waiting just, at, you know, like at a government office. You know, that's, that's one type of waiting. And then there's waiting for that date. You know, remember that when you were young? That, oh, will seven never get here? You know, that anticipation, the wait. That's kind of a difference here. When, when will it be? And, of course, that does take tremendous faith. Don't feel guilty, by the way, if you're not there all the time. Um, but that should be something that is rekindled, especially at the time of Advent. There was another hand somewhere. 
I saw. By the way, this side of the room is much more festive. There's a lot more red over here <laughs> than over here. You know, it's just, I'm just saying. And you win the tie again. How many of those do you have? Dozen. Dozen. Dozens. We, Dozens. We, Dozen. we know what to get them, and we don't know what to get them. <laughs> yeah, the tie. Got it. Awesome. Yes, ma'am. Your hand was up just a second ago. That is a good point, yeah. Yeah, that they don't see him as an adult first. They weren't surprised. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're excited, yeah. Yeah, you know, I never thought of that. You know, that it'd be one thing to have, here's Jesus in the temple as a man, the Messiah, but the baby, yeah. Hence, again, the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal this. There's others who speculated that the Holy Spirit used the shepherds. You know, and that word had been trickling out and going around. That, you know, they weren't silent either, right? And it's been 40 days, and they haven't been silent. So, that word was out. I bet you mean strictly Orthodox Jews thought Jesus in the temple was sacrilegious, right? I'm sorry? Maybe many Orthodox Jews thought Jesus setting foot in the temple, was, that was sacrilegious, right? Well, depending on where he went in the temple, not just in the temple precincts. As a good Jew, he could be there. That's right. Yeah, not in the actual altar house. Yes? Thank you. The, the Holy Spirit is promised in the Gospels. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But in this context, the Holy Spirit's already present. Mm-hmm. Yes. From the beginning. From the beginning. But, but there's been this period. That's what's why, you know, there's been this period of silence, seeming silence of God. Where... Where is the Messiah? So there's anticipation. Remember, it was given the timing, the timing of this, uh, you know, with, with oppression from Rome and seeming silence of the prophets and a crooked king and a messed up priesthood and all this stuff that was going on to be anticipating. And speaking of that anticipation, it wasn't just in Israel. This is a good segue, by the way. Um, well done. I didn't pay him for this. Uh, next week we'll look at that anticipation manifested outside of Israel. This is a life for all peoples, and there are other people who have seen this light and come looking. And of course, we'll look at that. Are we meeting this week? Is that a, a thing? It's up to you. We're not meeting. But that'll be okay, because it'll be closer to Epiphany when we do the visit of the Magi. So there you go. Man, this is working out just the way it's supposed to. (laughs) Um, We have a lot more food. So, graze at your leisure. Let's pray. Thank you for the fun and the joy of this time of year. Uh, where perhaps we've lost that, maybe we've become cynical or jaded by commercialism or whatever it might be, pray that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be excited and jubilant again. Uh, that there'd be, you know, we'd get past just the fact that some of the world doesn't necessarily see this the right way. 
but at least for a little while, the name of Jesus is on people's lips, whether they get it or not. So our prayer is that we join in the celebration. May nobody in the secular world out-celebrate out us. And may that celebration be manifested in how we love each other, our families, how we enjoy presents, how we feast, all the things that go along with this great good time of year. May we enjoy it as it's supposed to be enjoyed, having our flesh dignified by the incarnation, the Word become flesh. May that stoke our fire. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.